Welcome to Tech Talk Online, sponsored by Stratford University. You can listen to Tech Talk Live Saturday mornings from 9 till 10. Find us online at federalnewsradio.com or hear us on the radio in the Washington, D.C. area on the following frequencies, 1500 AM and 1039 FM HD 2. We thank you for listening to Tech Talk Radio. Interfacing complete. Please stand by. Now downloading Tech Talk Radio with Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Tech Talk Radio, it's technology you can understand. And now, here are Dr. Richard Schertz and Jim Russ. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge at Stratford University talking technology. I'm Dr. Richard Schertz. And I'm Jim Russ. And this was a busy week in technology. Apple had their big uh, big show, and they, you know, they released their new iPhone models. But the big news was really the Apple Watch. They did a significant improvement in the Apple Watch. I don't think there was a huge amount of excitement over the iPhones. They're just not dramatically different. Because mm-hmm. this is just the S. So it's iPhone XS. It's just the... It's the tick of the. It's the talk of the tick. The talk of you know the they the, the tick tock release, and so they didn't. They, there's no external changes to it really, just mostly internal changes. Mm-hmm. And this week we're going to talk a lot about hurricanes yes. because Hurricane Florence has been in the news, and I think it's still grinding away and moving very slowly. But we're going to talk about weather modeling because. Weather modeling, you know, is really important. So I'm gonna we're gonna feature in profiles in IT the man who was father of modern weather forecasting, Wilhelm Bjorkness. And he's not as Bjorkness. modern as you would think. Yes, no, he isn't. Uh, then we'll talk about the physics of hurricanes. Like, why do they always go counterclockwise, or mm-hmm. or maybe sometimes they go clockwise? It it just depends which hemisphere they're in. We'll talk about the physics of Hurricanes, And then we're going to talk about the hurricane forecasting models. And we're going to ask the very basic question, why is a European model always better than the U.S. model? Because they're hotter? It's, oh, that, that's know. a different no, kind no, of model. No, no, it's a different kind of, a different kind of model. And, uh, of course, it was a huge, huge mailbag. Hang Mr. On, just, Big Voice, hang on a Mr. second. Mr. Big Voice, would you would, would you put that scotch down and just pay attention? I think he's worried about his coastal property. That's the problem. There's a be. letter in your mailbox. There you Ooh, go. There we go. Now mm-hmm. we got it. We got an email from Richard in Rockville. Hello, Richard and Jim. On October 11th, you discussed a building that was not located correctly on the map. The location was it was a, it was actually the building was across the street instead of where it should have been, and it could be that the latitude and longitude values are simply not accurate enough for for the maps because many latitudes and longitudes they'll round it off to the nearest second, uh, and you actually need to have more resolution than that because one second you know if you if you latitude and longitude they go they go minutes they go degrees. And then there are 60 minutes in a degree, and there are 60 seconds in a minute. So you could have degrees, minutes, seconds. And it turns out that seconds, one second is about 100 feet on the Earth's surface. And so if your accuracy is only one second, your building might be off by 100 feet. Now, I was checking my—and uh, so that might be why there was an, an inaccuracy on the map. Uh, 
But uh, thank you for a great show. I love listening to it on WFED Radio, Richard and Rockville. Well, thanks for the feedback, Richard. That um, accuracy, GPS accuracy could be the issue, or it could just be that the that the data was put in incorrectly. I checked my iPhone, and my iPhone um, does uh, uh, it, it does GPS measurements in uh, in um, degrees, but it takes the degrees out to six decimal places. So I think that's actually better than one second. It's probably you know, a hundredth of a second. So I think the iPhone accuracy is, is at least six six decimal places on degrees. So um, we'll, we'll continue looking at that. But uh, um, thanks for that email and thanks for the feedback. We got an email from Anna in Kilmarnock. I recently created a user manual and distributed it as a PDF. But the PDF is so large that it's difficult to email. How can I compress this PDF for easier distribution? Love the podcast, Anna and Kilmarnock. Well, first of all, Anna, I would not distribute a large file via email. I mean, it's just very hard to send. It's hard to download. I would upload it to the cloud and then share the link to the stored version. Now, you can easily do this with Dropbox, and you can get a free Dropbox account, and you simply upload it to Dropbox. You can share a link to the file, send the link to somebody. You also could do Box is another uh, cloud thing. You could do Google Drive, Microsoft OneDrive. I mean, there are a lot of cloud, and they all have free versions where you've got less storage, but for one for one PDF, you, you just use the free version. Now, personally, I use Dropbox for all my sharing. So all the sharing that I've liked for my board of trustees when I share meetings, when I share documents with the board, I just share the Dropbox, uh, and it's really, really convenient. Now, the second part of the question, you can easily compress PDFs, and you probably can reduce them as much as 50% in size. The actual compression really depends on the number of images in the file. Now, Windows does not handle PDFs by default. So in order to open and compress a file in Windows, you've got to download some third-party software. So there is one program that's pretty good, PDF Compressor. That's a good option, PDF Compressor. It offers a variety of compression qualities to choose from. You know, you could have a lower-quality copy, and you can make the file smaller, smaller, smaller. Now, Mac users have a built-in preview app that will compress PDFs without without having to download any third-party applications. Just open your file in preview, by selecting the file in Finder, then hit Space, and then click Open with Preview button. In the Export window, you'll see something that says Reduce File Size. And from that option, you drop-down menu, you can basically choose that and then hit Save. Now, you could also use an online comp- – if you don't want to you know, download a file to your Windows machine, you could also use an online compression tool – so there's a, a website called Small PDF. You simply go to Small PDF, upload your file, and it will compress it and send it back to you. The nice thing is they delete your file from their servers after an hour. We got an email from Tom Shum. Dear Doc and Jim, I think you have made a mistake regarding the space elevator. Uh-oh. 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 I said mistakenly that um, that the tether on the space elevator was at geosynchronous orbit. But we all know that at geosynchronous orbit, if a tether's tied to the uh, to if something is tied to that satellite at geosynchronous orbit, the the, the weight of the tether simply pull it pull it down. So that's not correct. Uh, they would have to be higher than geosynchronous orbit. Jim, 
You, I mean, Tom, you are absolutely right. Wow. I misspoke. Tom actually was right on the money. You see, when you're at geosynchronous orbit, that means the satellite is going around at the same rate that the Earth rotates. So the satellite is always staying above the same, same point on the Earth. Now, that means it's got a fixed velocity as it's rotating. So in order for that to be a stable, uh, a stable orbit, the centrifugal force, which is pushing the satellite away from the Earth, has got to exactly equal the gravitational force, which is pulling the satellite toward the Earth. And it turns out that if you go out to twenty around 23,000 miles, that at that distance, the centrifugal force exactly equals the gravitational force, and it's a stable orbit. But it's not going to hold up anything. All it can do is hold up itself. So if you want to have a space elevator, you have to have your counterweight further out. you got to go further out than geosynchronous. And, and the, depending on the, the weight of the cable and the weight of the payload, they're looking at the, that the, that you, the, the satellite that tethers it is going to be between 60,000 miles out and 200,000 miles out. So that's quite a distance, but that's far enough out that the centrifugal force will dominate it and there will be very much reduced gravitational force because you're so far from the Earth. And that would be enough, be enough to hold up the cable. So uh, sorry for that long explanation, but I had to correct it because Tom was exactly right. I made a mistake at the show at last week's show. We got an email from Dave in Chantilly. Dear Doc and Jim, I've heard you talk about robots in the past. What programmable robots should I buy for my grandkids? Christmas is coming up, and I want to get to get them something educational. Love the show, Dave and Chantilly. Well, uh, programmable robot kits for kids are a great way to introduce children to science, technology, engineering, and math. Working with these robotic kits can foster a sense of accomplishment and inspire kids to work out new ways to program the robots to perform a task. It's really a great learning tool. There are a lot of robots out there, a couple that I like. Lego Mindstorms EV3. I love that. I've bought Lego Mindstorms before giving it to my grandkids. It's a little pricey, $349. Now, it's the leader in programmable robot kits and it's been that leader for quite a while. They combine all of it. If you combine all the available Lego bricks that come with it, along with the EV3 brick that contains the ARM9 processor for input, along with input and output ports, you'll have a sufficiently large collection of sensors, motors, and other components to allow you to build up to over 17 Lego-designed robotic creatures. No soldering is required. And the program, and you can program it using just simply a drop-and-drag programming tool. And so you learn programming language with a graphical user interface. It's a great way for kids to learn. Now, there's another nice one out there that's gotten good reviews. It's a little cheaper. The MakeBlock MBOT Ranger. It's $149. The MBOT Ranger is a STEM educational robot designed to help children explore and learn robotics. The MBOT Ranger makes use of precision metal components. It's Assembled. It has an Arduino controller board, and you can build three different robots the Land Raider, the Tank Like Rover, and the Nervous Bird. It's, it has a two wheeled, it's a two wheeled self balancing robot, or you can also do a dashing Raptor or a three wheel racer. You've got all these different options. The MBOT Ranger can be programmed using Scratch, a graphical programming language that allows you to build up complex programs by dragging programming blocks into place. Either one of those 
would be a great educational tool for your grandkids. That would be the Make Block MBOT Ranger or the Lego Mindstorms EV3. We got an email from Jay in Kilmarnock. Dear Doc and Jim, what type of weather app do you use to keep track of the weather when you're out on the water? I want to have something that's quick and easy to view and something that provides notifications. It's a very good question. Well, I'll tell you, I use the Storm Radar app by the uh, Weather Channel. I love it. And you can get your choice of three map styles. You've got, you got different, and you can have uh, different backgrounds. It includes roads, major landmarks, or a satellite photo. Once you've selected one of the three, then you can always go back and change that anytime you want. The app, the app shows how shows radar with different colors depending on what's happening. Shades of green indicate light rain. Yellow and red indicate heavy rain. Blue is snow. And so you can actually select your location, or it will just take your location from GPS, and it will just give you a uh, a movie of the last two hours of the of the radar results or the next eight hours of the uh, next six hours of the radar results so you can actually see what's going on now what i like about it is i've got it set up for notifications so i get all, any kind of notifications if there's you know you know lightning in the area or a storm coming in and so it's a, it's really a very convenient app that's easy to use we got an email from knock in ohio Dear Doc and Jim, oh, yeah, I know. Dear, Do- I recently heard quite a bit about tiny URLs as a way to trick people into uh, into you know into uh, clicking on an email uh, and going to a website as part of a phishing attack. This is where they try to trick you to go to a fake URL and put in your username and password. Now, what exactly are tiny URLs? This whole seems a little bit confusing to me. Tiny URLs. Love the show, Knock in Ohio. This is actually a real email from her, not as opposed a real serious technical email. The tiny URL is a URL shortening web service, which provides short aliases for redirection to a long URL. Now, URL stands for Universal Resource Link, is what a URL is. That's also called a web address. The way the web address of tiny URL is tinyurl.com <laughs> and you go there and now this tiny url thing this was de- developed by kevin gilbertson a web developer who launched a service back in january of 2002 so he could post links to news group postings which frequently had long cumbersome addresses see like he might have a link to a news group posting and it and it might be so long i mean it might be like you know 100 characters long and very complicated so what he wanted to do was just have a very short URL, which, which which could just be, it could just be called Kevin's Post. dot com, for instance, and so something really simple, and so you go to tinyurl.com, dot com, you put in this long URL that you want to compress, and it will give you a, a tiny URL, or you could you could ask for, or you could actually make up the tiny URL, and that's that's what's really done. Now the tiny URL homepage includes a form that's used to submit the long URL for shortening. Now, each URL that's entered, the server will add a new alias to its hash database and return return the short URL. And it might be something like tinyurl.com slash 2UNSH. That might be a, a simple shortened one. Now, the tiny URL will return the existing alias rather than creating a duplicate entry. Now, short aliases are also seen as useful because they're easier to write down and pass around. So... You can post these short 
things on Twitter or other things, it's much easier to use. Starting in 2008, TinyURL allowed users to create custom or more meaningful aliases. Now, this is where the deceptive use comes in. Like if they want to pretend that this is a bank account, they'll make a custom tiny URL that looks like, that looks similar to the bank account so that it looks like it's a real, it's a real URL to the bank. And then, boom, you'll go there and you don't realize where you're really being sent. So the tiny URL alias method is used by phishing expeditions in order to get your username and password. So you've got to be very, very careful of that. And I never... I never go to a website that, that somebody gives me and put in a username and password. If, if I'm going to go to a website, I'm going to type in the actual web address myself. I never use a link that's provided to me. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get back to you as soon as we can or maybe immediately if it's an emergency. Yes, indeed. It is Saturday morning. You're listening to Tech Talk Radio, heard every Saturday on Federal News Radio. 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2, on the web at stratford.edu. And you can watch us uh, do the show live, uh, and we'll have a special video feature coming up. (laughs) Go to the Periscope app, download it to your device, and follow us at WFED Tech Talk. We'll be back in just a moment. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has experienced IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with a Accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with a future in cybersecurity. Learn more about Stratford's up to $15,000 IT scholarship competition. Application deadline is September 30th for those who qualify. Register today at stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome back to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. And now it is time for... Profiles in IT. I think he's on drugs yes, today. Yes, I think so. He's a little bit slow, but he we're going we're gonna to have to check on him. Today mm-hmm. we're going to feature Wilhelm... Freeman, Corin Berhutnes. Okay. Well done. Thank you, thank you. You practiced that all night, didn't you? I did. I've been working that all night. Wilhelm Berhutnes is a Norwegian physicist, of course, and meteorologist who founded the modern practice of weather forecasting. Wilhelm Berhutnes was born March 14, 1862, in Christiania, Norway. 
Wilhelm enjoyed early exposure to fluid dynamics. I mean, this is like, you know, he grew up with fluid dynamics because his father, Carl Behrkness, discovered by mathematical analysis that actions between pulsating, oscillating bodies in a fluid, and he was able to put bodies in a fluid, oscillate them, and they would be linked through fluid dynamics to each other. And he actually analyzed that mathematically. And so Berkness saw his father's work on fluid dynamics, and he became very interested in fluid dynamics. Uh, after he, and, and he working as an assistant to his father in his research. Now, when he went off to school, uh, Berkness became assistant to Henrik Hertz in Bonn. Now, you know, Hertz, you know, we have like, you know, Hertz was a big electromagnetic guy, like frequency. Said, frequency megahertz? Megahertz, yeah. Megahertz, kilohertz. Kilohertz are all named after Hertz because uh, he worked on electromagnetic waves. And so Hertz worked on electromagnetic resonances, and he was talking about different frequencies. And uh, Berkness proved experimentally the influence that conductivity and magnetic properties of metallic conductors exert upon electric oscillations. And he measured the depth to which these oscillations would penetrate metal. And, and he discovered the skin effect, as they call it, because they only go so far and then they're damped out. And so he actually measured the penetration into the metal and measured the skin effect. In 1895, he furnished a complete theory of electric resonance. And these methods contributed much to the development of wireless Telegraphy. In fact, Marconi used these ideas because if you if you shake something back and forth, it will resonate, and it will then transmit. And so this was the basis of you know wireless telephones, radio, and all of that sort of thing. In 1895, he became professor of applied mathematics and mathematics physics at the University of Stockholm, and he worked on uh, highlighting. The fundamental interaction between fluid dynamics and thermodynamics, with his major contributions being equations which were used in climate models. Because you see, the climate models, thermodynamics relating to the temperature, the flow of heat, you know, you have thermal layers, and fluid dynamics because air is like a fluid and you and they're all linked together. So he actually began. Developing equations could be used for climate models by combining fluid dynamics and thermodynamics. Now, his work inspired others to apply it to large-scale motions in the ocean and in the atmosphere and to make modern weather forecasting feasible. Now, see, back then, they didn't, they didn't have computers. This was in the, in the 1800s. They didn't really have computers. The Herkness himself had foreseen the possible applications as early as 1904, now, his work was supported by the Carnegie Institution, and he became actually a research associate at the Carnegie Institution. And while he was there, they published a couple of books, Statics and Kinematics, Dynamic Meteorology, and Hydrography. And so these were published in 1913, and they formed the basis of modern weather prediction. So these were the actual physics, the modeling that was needed. But we didn't have the, uh, the processing power to, to actually make it happen. In 1907, Berkness returned to, the, to Oslo to the Royal Frederick University, became a professor of geophysics. In 1917, he founded the Geophysical Institute at the University of Bergen, where he wrote a book on 
the dynamics of the circular vortex with applications to atmosphere and atmospheric vortexes and wave motion and laid the foundation for the Bergen School of Meteorology. Now, see, vortexes are what you get. That's what, you know, that's what hurricanes are. They're, they're like uh, vortexes. He was the originator. He was originator of improved and more sci- improved and more uh, uh, scientific weather service. After uh, you know, and and he worked with his son on this, Jacob. And on, from 1926 until his retirement in 1932, he held a position at the University of Oslo, uh, where he just continued to work on weather modeling. He was elected a member of the Royal Academy of Sciences in 1905. He died in 1951 of congestive heart failure. They actually named a couple of craters uh, on him. There's the Beherkness Crater on the moon and the Beherkness Crater on Mars that were named in his honor. So he's the man who laid out the fundamental equations that are used for climate predictions. Mm -hmm. And the modern theories are based on his work. Cool. So there, you know, everything you want to know about the father of weather forecasting. And we're going to have an extensive discussion of hurricanes and weather coming up. So if you're interested in that stuff, stick with us. But now it's about time to turn what's in your head into something in your stomach. Possibility to win free lunch coming up on the Pop Quiz here on Tech Talk Radio. Heard on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 820 AM. I'm sorry. We haven't done that in a long time. 1500 AM, 1035 FM HD2, 1039 FM HD2 on the web at stratford.edu. And you can watch us do the show by downloading the Periscope app to your device. Follow us at WFED Tech Talk. And you may get a chance to watch me kill myself on a bird scooter coming up in the next segment. We'll be right back. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has experienced IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with a Accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with the future in cybersecurity. Learn more about Stratford's up to $15,000 IT scholarship competition. Application deadline is September 30th for those who qualify. Register today at stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Live from Washington, it's the Stratford University Pop Quiz with Andrew Mitchell, Jim Russ, Featuring Mr. Big Voice. With musical guest, the Stratford University Junkyard Band. And your host, Dr. Richard Schertz. 
Uh, thank you, thank you. Please sit down. Please sit down. We don't want to well, have any, you know, we don't want to disturb the weather in the in the uh, studio well, here. Well, there's limited space to sit down because you brought a bird scooter into uh, the studio. Yes, so that, that takes is, up about three seats that right is, there. That is very true. We mm. got a, we got the bird. We, we've actually captured a bird. It's right here in the studio. Which uh, we're going yep. to get to that a little bit later. Yes, we This, will. of course, is not simply a radio show. No. This is a classroom of the airways. Yes. And we're going to test whether you've been listening. And we're going to give you a, a short pop quiz. If you get the right answer to that, you'll get an A-plus for this session of the of the uh, radio show. Plus, you'll get tickets to fine dining at one of our dining rooms. Now, early in the show, I talked about Wilhelm Berhuchness. He, of course, is the father of modern weather forecasting. He worked for his father initially working on fluid dynamics and the mathematical analysis of fluid dynamics and oscillating and pulsating bodies in a fluid. After working with his father for many years, he went and worked for another gentleman who specialized in electromagnetic electromagnetic resonance. What was his name? And many if frequency- you know the answer to today's question, why we implore you to pick up your device <laughs> and contact us now. If you're calling from west of the Rockies, it's 877-936-9333. If you're waiting for high tide in Playa del Shirts, Virginia, it's 877-936-9333. If you're awaiting the remnants of Florence in Canada, call us on your rotary phone at 877-936-9333. And of course, as always, the undependable international line is 877-936-39333. Or just call 1-800-Flowers. Yep, 1-800-Flowers. That's or right. you have another way. You <laughs> have another right. way to do this. So if you are caught in the in the middle of the Chesapeake Bay with very bad weather, you can reach us on Skype. Simply connect to Tech Talk Radio 1, and your call will be forwarded to the studio free of charge. Andrew Mitchell, our adjunct professor for prize distribution and crowd control, is standing by to take your call, so dial now. now I'd like to talk about something called placebo buttons. What? These are the illusion of control. Have you ever pressed? Yes, 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 yes. Have you ever walked up to a crosswalk and there's a button there and you press it and it's supposed to turn the light green so you can cross you can cross the street. Mm-hmm. Or have you ever pressed the closed door button on an elevator hoping that the elevator door would close faster than it should? Well, here's the little dirty little secret. Most of these buttons don't do anything. They're called placebo buttons. They're designed just to make you feel like you're in control. Now, buttons are mechanical. They, they push a button. They might make a sound, but they provide no functionality. It's like a placebo pill. But these buttons serve a purpose because they make people feel they're in control. For instance, in New York City, only 100 of the 1,000 crosswalks have buttons that actually function. When you think about this, it makes sense because the most of the traffic signal systems now, especially in urban areas, are computerized. And if somebody were to hit a crosswalk button in the middle of the computerized, you could throw the whole That's exact- works into chaos, right? You're exactly right. These buttons were installed a long time ago before we had congestion in the city. Then once congestion came along, they they computerized the all of the uh, the lighting sequences to maximize throughput, and you just couldn't have a random guy pushing the button. So what they did, they just disabled the buttons. Uh, but and they left them there, and people just feel like they're doing something. It makes mm-hmm. them feel good. Now the thing on elevators. <laughs> you see, 
The time that an elevator door is open in the United States is determined by the ADA, Americans with Disability Act, and it has to be open long enough. I didn't know that. So someone can come in the door, come in the elevator with a wheelchair and not be and not be cut off. Uh-huh. So they cannot let you press the button to close the door faster. It violates ADA. Wow. So in the United States, all buttons for closing the door in elevators are disabled. That's and, crazy. And they're just there to make you feel better. Now, in Europe, they don't have ADA. Those buttons still work in Europe. But in U.S., your closed buttons don't work. That's amazing. I now, the other, there's another placebo button, thermostats in hotel rooms. Many of those actually have no function. <laughs> they just make you feel like you're controlling. It's like, well, okay, that just feels a lot better. <laughs> especially if you're in a place where it's a centralized system. When you go to older hotels and they've retrofit, That's with, right. there's an individual room unit. Mm-hmm. It's probably a different situation. And also many offices have. Placebo thermostats. They don't want anyone screwing. They don't want any because it's all set Let's, up on a cycle. There's one over there. Why don't you see? I'm quite certain that's a, that's a placebo thermostat right I'm in there. I'm pretty sure that's set on meat lockers, what that's it's set on. That's right. So anyway, that's all you want to know about placebo buttons. <laughs> I was actually surprised when I found out about that. Okay. All right. The the phone buttons are not placebo buttons. They will actually work. Because oh, when I press line one, we'll be talking to Lewis in Rockville. Good morning, Lewis. How are you, sir? Hello, Lewis. Woo-hoo. Lewis. Lewis. Hello. Woo-hoo. Are you there, Lewis? Well, this is bizarre. I think he's gone. Uh, he may be. Lewis, are you there? Okay. Well, Lu- we're gonna we're gonna disconnect here. Lewis is. Lewis is MI. I think what we need to do, Doc, is we need to move on to our next thing here. Okay. Let's let's... See, let me try this one more time. Lewis, are you there? Yes. Oh, oh yeah, there we is. go. There we go. Okay, all right. Okay, earlier in the show, I talked about Wilhelm Behorkness. He initially worked for his father in uh, fluid dynamics um, with pulsating bodies in fluids. Then he went to work for somebody else who was a specialist in electromagnetic resonance. What was the name of that scientist? Hertz. Hertz. That is correct. Well, and that was like a... That was a uh, 50-cycle hertz tone, I think, on Lewis's phone. Lewis, hang on just a second. We're going to send you back to Andrew, who will take your information, and we'll send you your prize. It is Saturday morning, and you are listening to Tech Talk Radio on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, 103.5 FM HD 2, 103.9 FM HD 2, and on the web at stratford.edu. You can watch us do the show by downloading the Periscope app to your device and following us at... WFED Tech Talk. We will be back with more Tech Talk in just one minute. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. More of Tech Talk Radio, presented by Stratford University, coming up in a moment. In the next three years, there will be 3.5 million unfilled cybersecurity jobs. How can you make that work for you? Stratford University offers everything you need to succeed, from certifications to bachelor's and even master's degrees in cybersecurity to prepare you for a rewarding career in today's most lucrative and sought-after field, cybersecurity. Stratford has experienced IT faculty, well-equipped labs, and real-life scenarios to help you achieve practical solutions to today's newest challenges. And Stratford makes a cybersecurity career reality with 
accelerated classes, year-round program starts, and both on-campus and online options to fit your busy schedule. All disciplines are offered, including digital forensics, networking and telecommunications, and our full line of degrees, including a master's in cybersecurity. Find the future of you with the future in cybersecurity. Learn more about Stratford's up to $15,000 IT scholarship competition. Application deadline is September 30th for those who qualify. Register today at stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. That's stratford.edu slash cybersecurity. If it's technology, it's Tech Talk Radio. IT trends, software, the Internet, and IT careers. Here's Dr. Richard Schertz of Stratford University with Tech Talk Radio. Welcome to Tech Talk Radio. We're in the virtual faculty lounge of Stratford University talking technology. Now, I got, today I got to the uh, studio a little bit quicker, and I decided to ride around on the bird on the way to the studio this morning. Uh-huh. And, and we, have, we already have theme mu- music for you. Oh, yeah. So I, uh, I, I'd already had my ba- I had already had my account, so I found a bird scooter. Uh-huh. And I've been tooling around the sidewalks around the studio for about half an hour on this uh, little scooter here. Uh-huh. Having just a lot of fun. And they go fast. They do go fast. When you're on the sidewalk, you can get up at 15 miles an hour, which is too fast for me. But 15 miles an hour on the roadway is a little bit too slow for the road, so you don't know where you're going to go. But I brought the bird to the studio, and I did what you're not supposed to do. I brought the bird into the studio with me. I didn't leave it outside. No, you didn't. Okay, so what we're going to do now? We're going to try to uh, we're going to try to ride this thing down the hallway. So I'm Jim, gonna is gonna, Jim is going to ride this <laughs> this right, thing down the hallway. He's going to bring it over. He's going to bring it over, and I've got I've got to scan it and uh, and open up the account right now. It's beeping because it's it hasn't been activated. And it's oh. so you just have to lift it up. Lift it up. Well, no, you can just pu- push it over. I did, well, you know, there's a lot of resistance on this. Oh thing. yeah, they. So now what I'm going to do? Just a minute here. Okay. I need I need to scan this. Oh, you, need to, you need to scan the machine. I've got to scan, scan it here. Just now I'm. Let's see. I'm. Where is it? Right here, right. The oh, yeah, QR yeah. code. I'm scanning the QR code now. I'm going to unlock it. It's unlocked, okay. and re- you're ready to go. And this is this is the throttle here. Oh, right there. Okay. That's the throttle. Okay, don't, don't, and this don't, is the brake. Oh, that's important to know. Okay. Okay. So, so now. Watching Periscope. Now Jim is Jim is now on the scooter. I, if he hits that throttle in here at 15 miles an hour, he's going to crash into the wall. Hey, he's gone. He's gone down the hallway. He's not doing anything. No, it's. No, it has to. It, he's you, not doing anything. Well, why don't you come back here I'm and I'll. Coming back. Yeah, you come back. I'm going to test it because it shows that it's actually oh, active. God. <laughs> no, just just a minute here. All right, you you take. I, okay, I will, now now see this is the thing here. Let me. I will do the 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 play by play of this. Oh, this ought to be. Yeah, it's not. It's. it's What's Marianne's number? So yeah, when you hit the is, wall, I can call her. This is this is. You know. You killed it. You killed the no, bird. No, I'll bet that it won't. It won't run. Inside, inside of a building without GPS, it won't, it won't do it. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna lock this thing now because I, I, I paid a dollar for that. But oh man, (laughs) that's no good. So what, what happened was we tried to ride it inside. Apparently, this thing, this thing, it's gonna blow up now. This thing, oh, we canceled the ride, so it was, it was the, the ride was canceled, but it wouldn't go. 
when we were inside without the GPS That's on. That's no fun. It isn't any fun. So after the show, we're going we're gonna to take it out. So this... This is actually quite a bit of fun. I was riding around for, you know, 15 minutes or so on the bird before getting to the show. So now, I now, guess you could say that bird just flipped us the bird. It did. It, and it's apparently this thing is built in. If you're inside a building and they don't have a clear GPS, it won't, it won't let you ride it. That's no good. It is no good, you know. That's what a shame. Our experiment was crushed. Was crushed, crushed, crushed. So I guess the, I guess the, the message is you can't have a bird's nest inside the building. No, you can't. And, and you're not supposed to bring it in, but I wanted to bring it in because, you know, I captured a bird and I wanted to prove it. So now, anyway, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it out. I'm, we'll take it out after the show and we'll, uh, Jim will take a, take it a spin around the block. <laughs> yeah, it's been nice <laughs> knowing all of you. That's right. All right, so let's talk about something else that let's, can kill let's you. Let's talk about the physics of hurricanes. Yeah. That's the physics of hurricanes because, of course, we've had that huge hurricane, uh, Florence, this this uh, this week, and uh, and I think people, it's worthwhile knowing what is a hurricane, how do they start, how are they powered. Now, it turns out that hurricanes, the turbulence, which is the root cause of hurricanes, actually travels from uh, travels from the west coast of northern Africa in the jet stream that comes from the east to west, and any turbulence in that jet stream when it gets to the U.S. can result in a hurricane because you have to have, it just can't, it just can't be laminar flow. There has to be some kind of turbulence to seed the hurricane. So it's funny that the wettest storms found in weather originate over one of the driest places in the world, the Sahara. Mm -hmm. Well, by the way, the name Sahara that just simply means desert in Arabic. Really? The it's, desert desert? Yeah, that's a desert desert. Yeah, it's, it means desert in Arabic. So these small turbulences travel from east to west in the jet stream. Now, hurricanes form near the equator over warm water. Now, the term hurricane is only used for large storms that form over the Atlantic Ocean or over the Eastern Pacific Ocean. The generic scientific term for these storms is a tropical cyclone. So you hear people talk about cyclones and hurricanes. They're, they're interchangeable. It's one and the same. Uh, hurricanes are one of the most powerful natural phenomena we see, and they get their power from the condensation of water. When water condenses, water vapor condenses into water droplets, it creates power. So the latent heat of vaporization of water is 2.2 million joules per kilogram. And that means it takes 2.2 million joules of energy to boil one kilogram of water. But the reverse is also true. If you've got a kilogram of water condensate, it creates 2.2 million joules of energy that are available for the hurricane. Now, there are four ingredients that a hurricane has to have in order to function. It needs large area of warm ocean water, preferably at least 27 degrees Celsius. Warm ocean water. You've got to be away from the equator. You've got to be at least 5 degrees away from the either, e- equator either, either way. You could be at 10 degrees, but you can't be right on the equator because it's the, the otherwise it won't, the hurricane won't rotate. Now, you have to have vertical stability. You have to have vertical instability. That means you've got to have a low pressure at the sea, sea level, and high pressure up high. So you've got a low pressure zone at the sea level. And you have to have a minimum vertical shear. 
You can't have your hurricane being broken up by by sheer by sheer winds that sort of break the break the uh, break the eye up. So if you've got minimal vertical shear, you got vertical instability. You're at least five degrees off the equator, and you got large ocean water. You've got all the ingredients for the hurricane. So what happens is the first thing that happens is that once they get begin to get self-organized out of that turbulence, warm air rushes in to the center of the uh, of the hurricane along the water level, and it starts going up that column. That's like a chimney. And that warm water vapor, as it goes up the chimney, it cools off and it condenses. And once it condenses, it, it generates a lot of heat, and that heats up the air. And once that hair gets even hotter, it just shoots up the chimney really fast. And that sucks in more air from the bottom. And you got this chimney effect, just like a fireplace. Now, what causes it to spin is this. As the warm air is coming in from the bottom, it's coming in from the bottom, something called Coriolis, for- Coriolis force, which is caused by the rotation of the earth, causes the air which is rushing to the middle to sort of rotate. We're in the northern hemisphere, it's counterclockwise. Mm-hmm. If we're in the southern hemisphere, it's clockwise. So all the tornadoes that we see are in the northern hemisphere, so they're all counterclockwise. They're all, they're all counter- counter- counterclockwise. So that's really the that's really the um, and so now what happens is once you get this this movement this chimney and you get the air coming at the bottom and it comes out, coming out the top you have to you, you you have to keep the the eye so it's sealed so that the air rushes out the top if the if if the eye if the eye wall gets a hole in it and and air pressure leaks out then what happens the tornado or the hurricane loses power. So that's it becomes disorganized. So if the eye wall becomes disorganized due to shear winds, it loses power. But if there are no shear winds and that eye is a, just like a chimney, it just keeps on going up to Category mm-hmm. 5. So there you go. Probably all you wanted to know about the power of hurricanes. And the amazing thing is they all start over in the west coast of northern Africa. The driest the, part of the world. The Sahara Desert. So okay. there you go. So now, you know, one of the things that... You know, people ask in my other job is, so what do you think? How bad is this going to be? And predicting weather is difficult. It is But tough. predicting hurricanes, and because everybody wants to know exactly where it's going to hit and when. And That's it, right. you really don't know. You you just, it's, it's very complicated to predict this. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So we do have forecasting computer models for hurricane forecasting computer models. They're, they're out there. There are a number of them. And now this is the basic deal when you've got a when you want to have a model that predicts something you need two things. First of all, you have to have the initial conditions. So the initial conditions are you've got to make measurements what are the, the what are the temperature pressures and all the initial conditions because those initial conditions which mean what we have today is going to we can then move that forward but you have to start out with some initial conditions. Then secondly, you've got to break up the atmosphere into some sort of little square little cubes. So you have resolution. So it's a it's a three dimensional grid, and you need to have the initial conditions on each of those little grid points. And the smaller the grid, the smaller the pieces, the more accurate it is. Mm-hmm. And so you might have a grid which is forty kilometers on a side, or it could have like twenty kilometers on a side. But the more grids you have, the more processing power it takes. Look at it as a, a, cur- a current version of a TV. That's right. The, the, the resolution. It's the resolution. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. It's the resolution. And then you've got basic physics where you've got thermodynamics and fluid dynamics that are actually, that, are, that you can describe 
through differential equations how pressures and temperatures and and air flows through the atmosphere. So you take these physical equations, these differential equations, you have the initial conditions, and then you calculate it, and you've got between the different cells, you'll have boundary conditions where you match the slope and value. You do this big calculation. And so there are a number of ways to do this thing, and there are a number of models, and it turns out that the European Center, the European Center for Medium-Range Weather Forecasting, it's the best model for forecasting. Now, the reason it's the best model is that the Europeans have selected a very small grid size, which means it takes a lot of computing power. They also have a more sophisticated physical modeling. They have more more differential equations and more effects have been handled within their model. And that <clears throat> increases the processing power even more. And they have put some supercomputers on this thing. They have spent some bucks to make it happen. And because of their high-resolution model with more sophisticated physics, that tends to be the most accurate model. So if you remember earlier, they were predicting that it was going to hit up further north. Mm -hmm. And then then all of a sudden they said, well, the European model says it's going to go further south. And and the European model was exactly right. Yeah. Well, you know, early on when this thing was still way out in the ocean, and you look at the what they call the, the spaghetti models, right, mm-hmm. which shows all of the possible tracks based yes. on all the possible models. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, one of them showed it coming right up to Chesapeake Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, but but that's that's the thing. When, when, when these things first start to form and everybody says, oh, my gosh, we're under the gun. Oh, it's, it's a week away. And look at where all of the different possible tracks are. And you, and you, you really don't know. And, and there are four global models that, that are in use. You've got the global forecast system, which is run by the National Weather Service. It's got great graphics, a great web interface. You've got the, you've got the geophysical fluid dynamics, dynamics laboratory model, the GFDL, and that's run by NOAA. And uh, that's also got uh, that. That also will predict the intensity of hurricanes as uh, well as their path. So you know, it's, it's kind of crazy to me that he, we have two U.S. models. Wouldn't it have made more sense if we just put all of our eggs in one basket and come up with one that was really good? It's just that one is NOAA and one is the National that's Weather Service. Just, but that's two different two different so, agencies. They're competing that's with each other. So United States. <laughs> yes, and then you've got the United Kingdom. Met Office model, There's a, and they and they call that UK Met, and that's really hard to find in the world. But those are the four dominant ones, and of those four, the European model is the best. The other thing that they do, they create each of these models. They do kind of a sensitivity analysis, and they go to a lower resolution. That's a bigger cell size, and they'll run a lot of different cases to see how sensitive the path of the hurricane is to different variations of the initial conditions. Mm-hmm. And it, so it turns out the European model, they run 50 of these cases to sort of get some uh, some sense of the accuracy of their prediction. The U.S. only runs 20, 20 of those cases. In, in every case, the Europeans just spend more money on their model. I was going to say. Do. So it basically comes down to a, a matter of dollars. But I'm, but I'm wondering, if we just had one model in the U.S. and they put all their money together, maybe, right. they, could, maybe they could compete with the Europeans. But we both know that that will never happen. We both know that's never going to happen. And so, so I just couldn't figure out why it was always better. But it, and I've just been noticing this over and over and over again. So let me let me ask you this question. So where where does the data come from that gets ingested into these systems? So they'll they'll take actual they'll actually take ground data 
they'll take ground radar data, which will show rainfall. They'll have they might put balloons out to get temperature data. Mm-hmm. They act their initial conditions. They actually have to have actual data. So even when they when they're running this, they've got these planes that fly into the middle the, of. The, I was going to ask about those of the of the hurricane and the fly the wall. They, so that they're, they're gets actually, ingested. They're in? actually gathering data on the hurricane itself and sending that into the models. Mm-hmm. So they're constantly updating the models with better data. But on a normal, you know, hurricanes notwithstanding, on a normal day, they use these for, for weather forecasting for every single day, right? They do. This, so so, does he, the, where, so this, basically this is weather radar data that gets ingested and plus ground stations? Is that what happens? Everything is because it, it, you've got to have a high-resolution initial condition. So if you've got a lot of cells, you've got to have the initial condition for every cell, which means you've got to have temperature, pressure, wind mm-hmm. speed, all the initial conditions for every cell. Well, that takes a lot of work to get all that. I mean, yeah. it's like with balloons, and it's 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 a combination of balloons. It's uh, it could be weather satellites. So then, I guess they just look at each cell and see whatever's closest to it, and use use and that use, and use yeah, that, data. And that, and that's the initial condition. And the Europeans. Uh, put in better initial conditions, higher resolution initial conditions, and then they'll use the equations. But the equations are not accurate, so they can still mm-hmm. only go forward, you know, maybe, you know, a few days. You know, and, and the further they go forward, the less the accurate less it is. Accurate but, they they, but they keep updating the initial conditions to get it better. So you know, the app that I have on my phone is um, Weatherbug. Mm-hmm. And I like that because it has so many weather reporting stations. They're mostly schools and, and local, you know, uh, things like ballparks and stuff like that. So is that data, does that get ingested? Is, is it whatever they can whatever, find? Whatever they can get because mm-hmm. I don't think they can get enough data. Mm-hmm. So it is it, as much data as they can get because you're looking at uh, fluid dynamics and thermodynamic equations, which means you've got to have temperatures. You've got to have wind speed. You've got to have air pressure. So you have to have all of these elements there. You've, you've got to have, if there's precipitation, you've got to have, if there's rain. So you have to have all of that core data, and they put that into these differential equations. And there are, prop, there are you know, several differential equations. And the thing is, with all of these cell sizes, you've got to match the boundary conditions between the cells. Mm-hmm. And, you, and it's a lot of computation. Okay, so here, here's the other question. Uh, you know, and despite you know, all of the science... My personal feeling is when you look at these weather apps on your phone, mm-hmm. they're wrong a lot of the time. Yeah, they are. And w- so what? what is the, what's the deal? Well, here's the thing. Usually people only want to what's, what's what's the weather going to be like the next day. Mm-hmm. And so it turns out that most of the weather apps are pretty good if you want to just know what is the next day. See, that's— uh, And so, and so there, there's not that much variation. But the thing with hurricanes, we want to know what is it going to be like in— Ten days. Ten days. Mm-hmm. That is tough. The further you try to project it, the more sensitive it is to those initial conditions. And that's why they run these sensitivity analyses to see how much variation you get in the path mm-hmm. based on variations of initial conditions. Well, see, here's the thing that I don't uh, – the, the, the weather bug app gives you hour to hour. Mm-hmm. And I swear I look at it so often, and it's wrong a lot of the time. And I don't understand that. Now, the weather people that I work with up at the other place where I work during the week, they swear – and, of course, this is a difficult place uh-huh. to forecast weather in mm-hmm. – that it's it's the combination of that data – along with a person who is familiar with the local weather, um, you know, the intricacies of forecasting mm-hmm. Baltimore, Washington, 
and they take a look at this data and say, yeah, but in that this area, when that happens, this is what happens. So you're better off getting it from a local weather person. Mm-hmm. But even that, the weather forecast from one TV station to the next it's vary. Gonna, it's going to vary. I mean, so what's your feeling about that? Is it a combination of of all of this data and an experienced human getting their 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 hands and their minds on this and saying, okay, this is all great, but this is what I think. Well, it could be, but I, I'm not you, really I'm not really convinced of that. You're not you. So you're going pure science. Here, I'm going pure science. Let me let me tell you. You know how a weatherman mm-hmm. can be right ninety five percent of the time. They simply say tomorrow's weather is the same as today. <laughs> and if you say that, you are correct ninety five percent of the time. That's interesting. <laughs> That's very interesting. Uh, Because it's almost always a continuity from day to day to day. Okay, so do you ever watch TV to get your weather anymore or or listen to another? You you get it strictly off of which app do you use? I use this. Is it the Weather Channel thing you're talking about? Yeah, I use the Weather Channel app. So what is that called again? I use Storm Radar. Uh Uh-huh. Because it gives me notifications like if there's going to be, you know, like a squall there out on the bay or something, I get notified. So I, I, I so, just, the, so if I go to the app store and I download Storm Radar, yeah. but it's a product of the Weather Channel. And it's free. Okay. It's free. It's I'll got, give that a shot. It's got ads on the bottom. I mean, okay. you, you got to put up with ads. But it's, it's, kind, the, of, it's kind of fun to see. But, um, but I think uh, these models are going to get better. And it's basically it, we're basically limited by co- computational time. So I think as we get faster and faster computers, I think these Predictions are going to get better and better. Do you think the United States models will ever catch up with what um, with if, what the European model is? If I mean, if we decide we want to invest in it, uh, I mean, we we let the Europeans get ahead with the Large Hadron Collider because we didn't want to invest in in more accelerators, so mm-hmm. more colliders. So uh, I think maybe we've just let the Europeans win on that. Now, one. when you say European, where where do you know specifically where this this is not um, United Kingdom? Where in no, Europe? No, no. It's it's the it's pro, it's pro, it's probably the European Center. It's the European Center for Medium Range Weather Forecasting. Mm-hmm. So they 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 developed that in Europe. Now maybe they needed a higher resolution model because they have these small countries and 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 sort of a, a rugged terrain. Mm-hmm. And so they might need a higher resolution model to predict weather in Europe. And maybe that's why they went to it. Where in the so US, it's probably a conglomeration of. It's, it's probably a conglomeration because they, they started out trying to predict, predict it in Europe, and they just had to go to a high-resolution re, high model. Listen, we love your emails. Email us at techtalk at stratford.edu, and we'll get right back to you. And go to the Stratford University website, Stratford University, stratford.edu, and tell them you heard about those programs on Tech Talk Radio. Tech Talk Radio is sponsored by Stratford University. For more information on courses at Stratford University, call 1-800-444-0804. Thanks for listening to Tech Talk Radio Online. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? 
Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 smart bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 special edition smart bed. Plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.